Hey friends, this is your friend Kyle Coleman, and I want to welcome you to Are We Still Friends, the podcast where I dig into the brains of fascinating friends. Oftentimes I haven't gotten to catch up with these friends in a while, and like we all do, I sometimes wonder, are we still friends? Amin El-Faleli is a globe and sound traveler. He has performed music internationally, even touring with names like Modest Mouse, and has worked as a brand strategist helping the likes of Nike, Converse, and Women's Sports Foundation tell their most important stories by understanding how humans think, behave, and seek meaning and purpose. For my music, I, I do a lot of editing, but not the sound engineering part. I do it to a certain point, but I don't throw in the same time that a sound engineer would throw in. And if I am really proud of something and I want something to go out, I will definitely get in touch with a sound engineer and be like, and try to mix it as good as I can. And then be like, hey, um, and I'll even, most probably will get a sound engineer that's good at mastering, get it as good as possible. He can do some of the sound engineering. Plus, sound engineering, a lot of it is also subjective and you want to color the sound perhaps a certain way so you want if you want it to go through certain analog gear there's people who've invested tens of thousands of dollars having all this preamps and things and they can run just even if you're happy with the mix they can just run it through it and just that you pay them for that and then they master it but but yeah i'm not a great i don't i'm definitely not a great sound engineer it's tedious yeah it's very tedious and it's also not great for your ears Mm. I think when, um, and most sound engineers will, will test to that. It's like, if you're so close, if if you're so close to the sound and, and each phase of the process, so you're close to the writing of the music, uh, then the recording of the music, and then the editing, and then uh, the sound, the, the mixing, and then the mastering, if you're doing all of that, and then the writing as well, you're exposing your ears so much to something that it's very easy to get to get lost in, in what you know what, where your anchor was so a lot of sound engineers will try, even if they're doing big jobs and they're just focusing on one part of the process if it's that big they might get another homie to help on a certain part just so that they don't you know get lost in being too because your ears you're very reliant on your ears so it's it's very easy to yeah, to get a bit um, disillusioned mm -hmm. with what is good and what was good. Wait, where am I? And, you know, it's like you get lost if you're too exposed for too long. It's kind of like writing a sketch or something where you've seen it a hundred times and you're yeah. like, it's not funny anymore. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It might. Yeah, right. So it's it kind of like it's very similar to even uh, just video, right? If you're the writer, you're a cameraman and you're the person... Um, even scouting and right. the drone operator and, <laughs> you know, and, and the editor and the director. Like a lot of people do that. And that puts you so close to the thing for so long that, yeah, you're eventually going to hate it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and some people just don't want to deal with that as well. You don't want to stay excited and, and, and yeah. that's totally fair. You can, there's like a thousand different workflows you can adopt and I think it's I think it's a good thing to adopt the workflow that makes it the most fun, if you can. Not everyone can hire someone, or, mm -hmm. but sometimes 
you just find someone who's as eager as you in this other thing, compliment each other, do the work. That's how I learned coming up with other people that were really good at, or really passionate and good about in these other complementary skills. And that's a luxury to find those people and do it together because then you can just focus on the thing you love most. Having said that, it's really good to have tried everything. Do it yourself sometimes. Otherwise, it doesn't happen, right? So you probably did start out doing everything yourself. I don't know a whole lot of your history of... The genesis. Uh, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so when you started out, what was kind of like your main focus? Were you into like writing you know, lyrics? Were you into editing? What was your... I want to do this right. and I'm having to do all of it at once. Right. I started, uh, when it comes to music, I started just writing um, lyrics. And that, that was the first, that was the first thing ever. Um, not, no studio, no nothing, just two homies uh, back in the Netherlands. I grew up in the Netherlands and um, there were these two homies I would hang with. I was about 15 and, um, you know, we would smoke weed, as you do in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> what a shock. Yeah, what a shock, right? And um, it was great because I couldn't do that at my parents' place. And their parents would allow it. So I was like, fuck yeah. So we would chill there. <laughs> and they were in, they were really into We were all into hip-hop. And they were trying to basically... To, to the topic of like trying to do everything, they they wanted to do all the, you know, five elements of hip hop. So like they did a little turntablism, then a little graffiti and this and that break dancing and whatnot. Um, and we would we would go home, just bike around and chill. And that's I don't know if that still happens. But we would just bike around and figure out where to hang out. And every schoolyard or whatever would have some friends hanging around and They'd either be chilling and smoking weed, talking shit, or freestyling or whatever. And then we'd go back home and they would turn on music and they would start writing. They would have these notebooks and they would start writing. And I would never really write. They would do it and I would just be fascinated by it and um, possibly have some imposter syndrome. Like, oh, I, I'm not that, so I can't. And uh, then they gave me a notebook. I'm like, okay, I guess I can. So <laughs> then the first time I wrote something, I, I just loved it. I loved writing to a rhythm. Mm -hmm. And there was like a framework to it. And I, I just immediately connected to that. Um, and I, I was hooked. It wasn't like, oh, that's cool. And then later revisit. And I was immediately hooked. So I started doing a lot of that. And I would just, these are Napster days. So I would like, you know, try to download as much as possible and just write to it. <laughs> Um, and there weren't that, it was a lot harder, harder to get instrumentals, but you could find them and I would just write, um, and record. And eventually we got a laptop, uh, not laptop, like an old PC computer at home. And I would, I didn't have a way to record. I didn't know how to. And eventually, so the Napster days, and then eventually it was LimeWire or whatever it was. You could get <laughs> software downloaded. Mm-hmm. So I got, I think it was Nuendo. It was called Nuendo back then. And I think it changed into uh, Cubase or Reason, one of the two, probably Cubase. Old, old like recording software. And I would just learn how to record with a crappy mic. And that was a whole nother phase of like, holy shit. You know, you can hear yourself now and you start to adjust and modulate how you, how you sound and, you know, and what it's, you know, what you could do creatively. 
with uh, with your rhythm, with your flow and your melodies. So that got me, I got, re- I geeked out on that. Like, we're trying to record and do stuff and blah. And I did just enough. I wasn't like getting deep into sound engineering, but just enough to be able to record. And it was all crappy <laughs> sound. And it, was, it was horrible, but it was great because, holy shit, for the first time ever, I can listen back to myself and, and, and see what's up and sort of share these tracks with other people. And eventually there weren't a lot of people that were, you know, writing, or at least in my neighborhood, rapping in Dutch, which was cool. another thing. I was rapping in Dutch. I yeah. was writing in Dutch. So I started to become known as that, hey, is that guy, is he does a little rap thingies. And in our friend group, there wasn't a lot of like sharing music. And maybe this is a good, this is a good insight maybe for people that did not grow up in the Netherlands. I have a, this is a theory, you know, but in the Netherlands, we, one thing I know for sure is in the Netherlands that the band culture that you guys have in the States growing up, at least people our age, our era, that didn't really exist. At least that didn't, it wasn't as prevalent there. I feel like everyone I've met here has a guitar at home or has had some experience with music growing up without even seeking it out like it was there they had band practice or whatever we didn't have band practice we didn't really have any music lessons we didn't have any instruments at school yeah no like music class at school no no we we had like some singing and we'd have like you know k1 through 12 you do singing or some stuff but we didn't we were never given instruments there was never like a a, uh you know inventory with instruments that people could tap into and then different lessons and blah um, and there's not a big campus culture at all. So once you get into college and all this, you just go somewhere and you come back, <laughs> you know, you go to your dorm and, and your dorm is probably renting somewhere off property. Um, so I think the other thing is that in the, ne- in the Netherlands, the big thing was electronic music, DJs and all that stuff. And it came a little later, but that was like the big thing. And not to say there's a big, there's not a big sort of, you know, there is a big orchestral scene, um, but if you were not going to a specific dedicated school for just that, you're probably not exposed to learning instruments unless you go and pay for some teacher or a tutor or whatever outside school. So, not what I would have thought out of a European school system. It's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. I it's a small country, you know, and sure. so I think the campus thing has something to do with that. Yes, you can go to private school and have the campus experience. We didn't have money for that, and you know we were not in that. Um, so the majority is just does not experience the campus culture. And I say campus culture because I just associate that with, you know, when I hear all of the stuff that people growing up here get to pick from and 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 get to immerse themselves into whatever, like I don't know, from music to chemistry classes, like very, it's a it just feels like it's a bit more immersive than what we saw um, or experienced. Back to music. So therefore, it was kind of crazy at the age that I was sending tracks that there was no one else doing that. There was no one else sending me tracks or being like, hey, this is what me and my band did, you know? It was just very rare. Which means that eventually, if you keep doing it, you'll start connecting with the people that actually do 
something with it. And um, that got me into little studios, even if they were like attic studios or basement studios, it got me connected with people that were actually studying to be a sound engineer or doing anything like that. So I started going to connecting with, with, with the homies that had their own studio and I would just hang out there because I loved it. It was like, oh, I'm around all this stuff and gear and they know how to do all this stuff. I didn't know how to produce. I didn't know how to do any of that. I just knew how to sort of write and uh, record. So I'd just show up. Just I always show up. I would travel. You can't travel that far in the Netherlands, but I would travel far, relatively <laughs> speaking, and just kind of stay, stick around, you know, um, and learn that way just by watching how people are producing and doing things. And I would soak a lot of that up. And over the years, um, and there's a specific turning point, but over the years, like, you soak that up, but you don't have the gear. You don't have the stuff, so you're not really applying it yet. So this is me from 15 years old up to, I guess, 23. In this period, I'm, I'm on this course recording, getting into groups, being a rapper in the group, but mostly recording, a little bit of performing but mostly recording in studios and connecting with beat makers and, and all that stuff. And in this time, Dutch hip hop starts growing. And um, at 23, I leave to, to China. And that was going to be six months for like a school thing. And that turned into six years. And that's where I got my first job. Like after that, that internship, I got my first job working. Well, let me backtrack. I went to China, did this internship a study abroad thing and then started a band there by going to jazz clubs because i didn't find any hip-hop that is 2009 i didn't find any hip-hop communities i i or didn't know how to i didn't know where to tap into there was no big hip-hop scene in china at this point yeah not really okay there was a hip-hop scene in the clubs and you you you'd go to these clubs and there'd be top 40 stuff playing and hip-hop and they'd hire somebody to come and rap over these tracks that without with the lyrics on them, oh, no. and I thought that was the worst thing ever. That's so they're kind of like, like unprofessional. Yeah, and... like here, dance puppet, you know. Yeah, I, I was like, what? I, so I didn't really, I didn't vibe with that, and uh, I didn't really like those types of clubs. Um, anyway, and um, so I just kind of like try to find these underground clubs, and I started finding some underground clubs, and I found one that was all about sort of um, reggae dub and sort of some electronic music. And then I found another one that was doing all types of stuff, hip hop included, uh, but it's just shows, you know, um, and a lot of DJing. Um, and then I would go to these jazz joints and in the, at the jazz joints, I was like, Oh wow. There's all these different musicians from all over the world, incredibly talented. And they were doing their sets, three sets a night, but it was crowded, bumping, smoky. Was, you could still smoke there. And it was really a vibe. It was transported into this other world. And then at midnight, they would open it up for a jam. And I remember going twice, three times and being like, I need to get up and just fucking try something. I was nervous as hell. And then why? Because I was so intimidated by the level of musicianship on stage. And I felt like yeah, I had my imposter syndrome. I was like, yeah, I fucking know how to do this, but 
damn, this is different. You know, I was like always with beat makers and productions and all this stuff. And these guys are real, real musicians. And I was never really around that until I, so, so one time I went and I did, and it was fucking great. <laughs> I did it in Dutch and it was still, and I was like, ah, they'll not, not they won't understand. And but they loved it. And they're like, hell yeah, we've been doing these sets. It's great. But it's really nice to cut loose and do some hip hop and just blend it with some jazz and funk and whatever. Um, and I started just going to these jazz joints and just keep doing that, keep freestyling, keep working on stuff. And it pushed me to write in English. And again, eventually just showing up every time gave me a little bit of, uh, you know, there was no one taking that role of like an MC coming to the jazz joints. I was like, great. Um, so I started knowing these musicians, getting into their world, and started a band with some people. And this is at the end of my internship. So now I'm in China. At this point, I know I want to stay because I, I loved it. Mm -hmm. It was like it was a great vibe, and there was a lot happening, a lot of opportunity, people from all over the world, crazy stories, <laughs> great culture, and um, I wanted to stay. And I started this band. And I need. I knew I, at that point. I knew I needed a job because I needed a visa, and I knew I wanted to stay. So I invited all these people I'd networked with, and they all showed up to this one gig. And one, my future boss was there. He's this Dutch guy who started a music production house in China, and it was part of a bigger one from Amsterdam. They're in LA, New York, and they do music for ads and games and trailers. He was there. I, I I do my my two sets with the band, and he's like, "What the hell?" And, you know, I was blending Dutch and English rap, and he's like, and it was kind of funky, and it had a lot of Prince influences and James Brown influences, mm -hmm. and like hip hop, and so after, and he's a big Prince fan, so he's like, "What the hell? What the fuck is this? How how am I seeing someone from the Netherlands, Moroccan kid, rapping in Dutch, rapping in English, and you know?" over all these influences i love um and we got drunk and he's like do you need a job i'm like hell yeah i need a job and he we shook hands right there and then he gave me the job i came monday to the office signed a contract took care of my visa and that's how i was able to stay <laughs> in china and that was through music and from there onwards now i needed to step up now i needed to get out of the hobbyist thing and i knew i needed and I wanted this. I've always wanted this to know more about the adjacent music skills that I would need. So I started investing into like good software. And at the studio, there was a colleague who was a sound engineer and I was trying to learn everything from him. Um, my job at that place was to be sort of the conduit, like the middleman between the production house and our clients. Our clients were agencies, you know, like uh, advertising agencies and produ other production companies and brands. And they would come to us and they'd be like, well, we're doing this McDonald's thing or this car ad or whatever. We need this, this and this. And the briefs, the music briefs were always ridiculously simple because they didn't know how to brief in music at all. So just be, make it epic, give it a crescendo. And that's it. You know, <laughs> I want orchestral. Like, so I would take that. And I would learn, and I would then brief our pool of composers. So I didn't need to compose anything. So that pressure was at least not there. But I did need to understand 
how arrangement works. I didn't, I needed to understand how flow works, how storytelling works within music. Composing to film is a whole nother beast than just composing. So I started to learn how film works in short format, 30 seconds, 50, 15, 60. And that was a really, really good learning school because I needed to step it up. And the job was, I mean, it was taxing. It was like a lot and fast and so I need to keep up. And that was one of the best learning schools ever because I learned all these things over time. And I really faked for, for the beginning. I faked it till I make it, you know? <laughs> so there was a lot of, um, I think it was in, the advantage was that they didn't know much about music and I knew more than they did. <laughs> so therefore I could make them feel at ease. That was my strength. And then I needed to just supplement it with all the skills and like, that's where editing came in hand because some we also had a library of music tracks. So sometimes if someone doesn't have enough budget and we can't get a composer to compose from scratch, we'd get all these tracks from our library. We try to fit it under these, these, these edits. But if you can't, if you don't have the stems, you can't change it or can you? So we would learn how to edit the parts of a track and rearrange it. So I would learn, wow. okay, so now I have a 60 second track. I don't have the stems, so I can't change really anything, but I can cut up the track in pieces if I recognize the arrangement. Okay, this is the intro. This is the the run up to the midsection. This is the midsection. This is where it starts um, crescendoing up. And this is where um, it's all crescendo. And this is where there's the big drop or the reveal. So I start cutting it up like that and learning how to be faster with it, you know? learn all these tricks on how to count and make sure that I can understand rhythm. And um, yeah, so that's what got me into editing. Um, and that's what got me into production as well. So I started to learn how to produce myself. I was like, okay, let me make a version, even though they're not paying for it. We're still having a really fucking good composer work on it, but I'll just also try. And so I'll just do that and I'll have the studio at my disposal. So I just, yeah, learned that way. And yeah, that's, that's kind of sort of that. And then, you know, fast forward over the years, you get known as, as, as the guy, the music guy. So then you get more of these types of jobs, you get short movie requests, you get things and started producing for myself, um, for other people, editing, doing little things. And uh, that's how, that's how I sort of got into that. That's so cool. It's <laughs> just, it's just picking up little skills here and there. And then you fall into the job that has the next level of all those skills and then you're now talking with real people about you know real clients yes. and just finding probably finding your weaknesses and being like oh i need to shore that up now i can do this too exactly. and so then you just become super well-rounded exactly yeah yeah that's awesome exactly it's exactly that it's <laughs> it's taking a fall sometimes right or like getting slapped and uh you know oh shit i don't know how to actually solve this well, better figure it out, you know, and then pretend like I do. <laughs> yeah, man. And so <laughs> the, the, you get nervous a lot, you get anxious a lot, but it's the best learning school because yeah, like you said, you're learning about things you didn't know you were going to learn. So it's like a curriculum that's absolutely randomized mm -hmm. when you just, you know, someone throws you a curveball. Okay. Um, I guess, um, that's what I'm learning how to do now and I would do it. And, um, yeah. And that's so indicative of like how much you love this stuff is that there is nothing that somebody couldn't throw at you that you were going to be like, 
yeah, I want to learn that. I need to know that. Right. It's going to come in handy for me at some point. If not in this job, then the next one. Very true. Yeah. Although there are limits in, in the sense, maybe limit is not the right word, but there's, there's a point, and you learn this as you go, there's a point where you go, all right, I see what you want here. And this is a very, like, I, I, what I learned was that within music, there's so many niche skills within so many segments of music. So not just genre of like, okay, this composer really lives and breathes orchestral. We need this person because it's just a whole different beast of compo uh, composition than composing a rock track or whatever. Um, yes, there's so many similarities, but it's truly a speciality, right? A specialty. Um, and so that's just genres. And then within, if someone is asking for like, I want sound design to sound like I'm in a forest in this car and I want uh, it to be sort of 3D immersive. And I want also an experience where this and this happens when you do this, I want this type of Foley blah. Now you're thinking as a whole different person and that's another specialty. So. I would try to extend as much as possible, but also stay very, very realistic or try to be realistic about certain specialties and, and teach them, not teach them, but educate them on this specialty so that the next time they're not just hiring just anybody to do these, these things and appreciating the craft for what it is. Like, okay, this is an actual craft that someone spends 20 years on to make it sound like what you heard on this reference, right? Um, so there's that. But yes, overall, it's probably the best way to immerse yourself in any skill is to just throw yourself in the deep. And and I I, I was lucky. I had a co I had two colleagues who were amazing, and they had both their very specific skill sets. Um, so that was a good sounding board as well. So what is that taking you to now today? Like, what do you? I haven't gotten a chance to catch up with you in a while and like what you're working on both mm. professionally and personally, like where's, where's Amin at? So music, so music will always stick with me. It's it your always, priority in yeah, life. It will always be yeah. around. Um, but professionally I did step out of music um, when I moved here. So I moved here in 2015 and when I came here, I started working after a while, after a year or so, I started working for an agency and I made an effort to get into something else, something that could complement what I was doing. But also I, I, I just wanted to try a different world that was a little less music related. And that was also about storytelling, um, but more around writing and you know working on camp and working on campaigns to me because i was so close to that seemed like an interesting sort of segue so i presented myself as a strategist or at least i presented myself very honestly this time <laughs> it's like <laughs> yo i here's my background here's what i've done here are the things and i i tried to frame that story when i was doing the interview um, by by emphasizing the choices I made and why across my career. So not just saying, I did 500 ads and da, da, da. no, yes, I did. I worked for this, uh, for this company. And then I started my own and here's 
why I started my own um, shop because I wanted to sort of, I saw that a lot of companies were asking us to help them with, um, with music. And a lot of these companies were lifestyle companies and uh, they were trying to speak to the youth and they were using music as, as that conduit. But then they were asking us to just do the music. So there's sort of a, a, a disconnect between the briefs that we were getting as they don't, didn't seem to us like they were based on true insight. They seemed kind of corny, but they were trying to speak to subcultures within music. So I was like, well, I'm out here performing. So are all of my friends. And some of them are doing really, really cool things. We're getting, we're doing tours and we're getting to crazy festivals. Um, we're actually speaking and living and breathing this same subculture that they were trying to make ads for, trying to reach. So I was like, what if we put strategy and music together and then we get to do sort of insights work. We get to do research work. We get to do help them with opportunities and use music as, as sort of a way to build experiences and activations and whatnot. And it was kind of a bold <laughs> dream and, and, and definitely not something I was crazy equipped for, but I at least knew that what I knew about music and sort of the life I had around music, that was relevant to this job. And now it was just about finding the, the right partners to bring some ideas to life. So that's how I presented that. And they liked that. And uh, they looked at some of the projects I did and they're like, all right, we'll take, fuck yeah, come work for us as a strategist. And, um, and then I was, <laughs> I was uh, smart enough to negotiate a visa with them, um, which I never thought they'd go for, but they did, which is bless them. It was amazing. It's quite hard to get a visa here as, as a non-American. And um, I worked there for a while. And as a strategist, I, I re now it wasn't just music. Now it was all types of work. And the main clients were like <laughs> the clients most, most agencies work for. So it was your Nike. And then we also did uh, Converse and uh, HP and, and some other tech companies. And I would have to learn about these worlds and learn about storytelling and creating presentations and narratives and having the inside lead to opportunities that could lead to like a campaign idea. And I learned about all this and it's exactly what I wanted to learn because I wanted to see how those, how the sausage was made basically. <laughs> and I wanted to learn, I didn't necessarily want it to stay in that corporate world, but I did, I was very fascinated by storytelling and how these big companies use it to connect with whatever their goals are and whatever subcultures they're trying to you know speak through so yeah so did that for a couple of years and i got out maybe a year ago and then started working uh, as, a, as a free agent doing the same thing but i don't present myself as i'm a strategist just a strategist or this I have a network I've created over over time. So some people know to hit me up about some music things and some people know to hit me up about strategy and ideas or content creation or whatever. And that works great for me. I love that. I don't, I always thought 
I think the impetus of me wanting to get into strategy and like not being pegged as the or not being boxed in as the music guy, just the music guy. That was sort of a thing that was always in my brain. And now I'm like, I want all of all of the things that interest me is what makes me. And now every client I work with, I create a relationship with um, that is not necessarily just based on my portfolio. It's based on perhaps a good conversation we had. And they were like, oh, interesting. You have some insight here. Or it's based on someone recommending me or and that is working is it's working it's not working great it's not working bad it's just working exactly what how it should be i think and it's it's starting to create some cool opportunities that i'm uh that i'm looking at and figuring out i'm now at the sort of at a crossroads again where i'm working with this this uh this company podcast turned into a content company and i'm looking at maybe joining them so figuring that out and seeing if that uh, might be cool. I've worked with them on two projects and it was great. Um, they're they're amazing people. They do cool stuff and uh, I like that. I like that about this where I'm like creating relationships first and then work comes out of it as opposed mm-hmm. to just, I don't know, there's a higher chance of you hating to work if you're not careful who you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh that's that's also one of the reasons I got out of sort of the agency thing because you know it's an agency it's a business great people to work with but you don't pick your clients and that's normal that's that's fine um, but a business needs to make recurring business so it becomes your life real quick and these faces become the faces you see every day and if if that doesn't gel with what you want to do in life then uh, it starts getting a bit boring or you know tedious so I, I i love i love being out on my own it's uh it's a great way to keep variety and i think that's what i like and uh yeah sometimes a job doesn't work out or a client is not that great and then you finish the job and then they're out of your life it's great <laughs> Move yeah, on. It's, yeah it's fine <laughs> yeah it's cool what i love is that you have all these passions and these passions for different people and different subcultures and different like ways of whether it's through music or storytelling, you are facilitating not only your own life to, to be like, oh, I just love all these different things. I'm going to do all of them and I'm going to connect people. But then you're connecting those people who have specialized in something and you're facilitating for them mm-hmm. a, an opportunity to you know, contribute to this bigger thing. I agree with that. There's been moments where I felt incredibly good about connecting somebody to an opportunity. And I, I always feel good when I do that. I wouldn't say I'm out, I'm out just doing that. But one thing that has always been very, very important to me are relationships and network. And if someone is really good at something, I really, really want to see them do that at all times. I absolutely love that. Um, so to that to that yes so i agree with with that point i um when you're when you're when you're putting it like that i'm like actually it gets my brain sort of going like how dope would it be to to sort of be actually doing that as a business so it's almost like having sort of headhunter slash recruiting or sort of creative recruiting where you're uh connecting people to the right opportunities and um when it doesn't always happen in life where, where you can do that, but when you can, 
I absolutely love that. Yeah, absolutely love that. And it's also the thing about that is I've seen people, peers or just people I've worked with who are very, very territorial about their shit and about what they do and not sharing clients or because they, they're perhaps afraid that then they'll go to this person for everything, right? Or whatever. And I've always, that always gave me like such a, such a rash, you know, it's like, oh man, you have no idea. You know how much I would appreciate if you would have connected me to something that you know would put a smile on my face. I would never forget that, right? And what you're literally getting out of the way of a connection that can branch out into all these networks. You've just cut yourself off from an entire network by doing that, right? So I love, I love the part of where you can help somebody, they help you, and you don't really expect it in return, but you know that when you do something for someone you appreciate, you appreciate their skill, you know that at the point where they get asked about a certain thing that I do every day or that I do really, really well and that they may maybe don't want to do or does not really their thing, they'll be like, yeah, I mean, just fucking. And that's how I got to the luxury right now of not having to pimp out my website or portfolio website. That is, that's big for me because I do not really put a lot of time in social media or mm-hmm. promoting myself at yeah. all yeah. at all most of my jobs that I get are recommendations or um, through network and I think uh, it's one of the strongest things right like even when you just want to do a passion project everything you do for somebody in their career is also a reflection of what you could do with that person outside of the career just for passion gets you into a bigger network and that's that's great that's dope especially in creative field like yeah. there's so many complementary skill sets that if they come together they can just make these amazing things they work on multi-million dollar projects what if you have your album out and that person is like hey i'd love to do some art for your album that's great that's amazing right but you can't do everything it's like always good to multiply the brains and uh, get a better perspective on things you can ask them about certain skill sets that you might need when you're working on a job and vice versa and you can feel like you're uh, part of a community that's great did you did you feel like getting out of you didn't mention this so i'm totally coming out of yeah but like in terms of leaving kind of the production side of things was that one of those things where you're like, I'm doing too much work of the thing I love mm. and that you need, you know, I, I guess maybe you didn't necessarily have it at the at the time, but now post that, have you been like, oh, now I can really enjoy music a little bit more because I'm not doing that professionally as well. Because I know so many people talk about, you know, never do what you love for mm-hmm. work because then it, it's just work. Yes, that's that's a great question. And in a way, in a way that's true, but from a different angle. So what I, no, actually it's the same angle. What I <laughs> like, prof, I one thing I always made sure of, for better or worse, is that I never needed to rely on the money from gigs performing, or me as an artist out there doing my thing. 
And the reason for that was because I just truly love being on stage. I just love it. And, and I, and I had a chance to do that. Not just a chance. I had a luxurious position where the homies I was playing with, the bands I was in, they had that on lock. They were in Shanghai where I was, they were in that scene. They had, they played in several bands. They were, you know, connected. So all I needed to, when I connected with them through the jams, they were like, do you want to do this band thing? I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. All I need to do is show up at the rehearsals. And yes, we would think about where we wanted to take the sound and all that stuff. But that was fun to me. Um, but I never had to worry about booking us. I never had to worry about any of the admin. That's big. That's very big. That's a big, that is the work that you have to put in. So that's why I call it a luxurious position because I just could show up with my mic. I just had to write, be dialed, be locked in, perform the shit out of it. And if I did all those things, my favorite things, well, I'll keep getting booked. That's it. And that's a great, that's amazing setup. I learned how lucky I was when I came to Portland. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I... I went starting from, over. <laughs> yo, I went from being able to walk into a, any jazz club there and just get on stage with it that that night and being called, "Hey, I mean, it's Eric, great. Let's go." And ba -da -da, and it would be you know, if I was just sitting at home bored out of my mind, I could do that <laughs> immediately. And that's insane in a city that never sleeps. And then I come to Portland Nope. <laughs> Who the hell are you? You know, and I had to figure out everything from scratch and build those relationships. And that just takes time. So I, so that's why I told myself, I do not want to rely on the artist side of things to bring in the bread. So I always had a job and I don't know if that was the trigger or, or was the reason. I think I also was interested in other things. So I, made that my job and my work and then it was a joy to do the music thing um when i would perform it but when i was it was kind of funny because in china my job was music but for advertising and games and trailers and so yeah so i do so i did have a job in music and then i did the performing and the thing and that was separate right that was more me as an artist and then the job for the ads that's like okay what's the brief cool we'll do it and it's just doing that side of things but i still had a job that wasn't the performing and the art artistry of it so it, it's always been like that um i think it's incredibly it's it's brave in a good way not stupid or dumb i think it's great when people throw everything into what they love i think everyone should do that I don't know if it's luck or whatever. I just had several things I really was interested in and got sort of an in and got to learn about the thing I love and things adjacent to what I love by having a job in it and by doing the artistry um, separate. And I always kept just doing that. That worked for me. That happened to work for me on my journey. But often, <laughs> I still have, I often have days right now where I'm like, get a brief like on my like the strategy stuff from a client or whatever 
and where I have to go do meetings or whatever. And I'm like, fuck this. I do not want to, I don't <laughs> want to do this. Like, I do not want to do this. I just, and, and I sort of think about shit. I just want to do just music and get back into that and fully just write, make things, collaborate. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe I will at some point, but, um, I think at the end of the day, pushing yourself through habits and work is work. It is. It just is. And even if I would just do the music thing as and as a mean the artist and just build around that, that same feeling I get from I don't want to do this thing like this presentation or write this narrative or do this thing for this brand or whatever I don't care about or care a little about or whatever or don't care anymore about. <laughs> um, then uh, you know there's time that you have to put in that just isn't as exciting. And then there's parts of that job that are exciting when you get to the end of it and you, you figure out the puzzle piece or you, you know, you unlock sort of the, the entanglement that they had or the challenge that that's great. I love that. I think there's something about contrast that drives me, right? So if I would just work on my own music, I'd probably get bored after a while. Interesting. I think, I think I need to cut it up with doing other things. And it's not necessarily strategy work for clients. It could be other things, something else could be trying to learn more about after effects or like, yeah. you know, getting things visualized or being a producer for another artist and helping them guide, you know, guide through what they need done or how they, get their ideas on paper or whatever it is i love this while of travel so much contrast something else something different different culture different perspectives different weather different types of trees and different you know landscapes um and that helps again with the music and the artistry and so sort of like a a good little connected uh I don't know, Venn diagram or whatever, like yeah. or a cycle, or it's like a good sort of cyclical process uh, that keeps me sane and uh, driven, maybe. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what you were saying originally about listening to music too much or listening to your own stuff. Your ears just wear out. Yeah. And, yeah. and I imagine it's the same way. I mean, that's, we all do it with, yeah. with work where if you did your passion the whole time, you need that contrast to just give you some other influence in your brain yes. that can then come out through music yeah. or because if you're just sitting in a studio all day it, with your own brain, mm -hmm. you're not expanding anything. Yep. And a lot of it you do alone. And uh, there, that's a whole nother thing of how do you, how do you keep yourself motivated while being alone and how do you how do you break up incredibly big goals like across a year, over a year or whatever into small goals for yourselves uh for yourself um and how you treat that and how dedicated you stay that's like a big struggle for me sometimes breaking things up properly and sequentially doing them in a in a way that makes sense on paper i often don't do that i often go off the cuff and whatever my brain can handle um, <laughs> or feels exciting at the time. So a lot of my music making workflow is all about ideation, cr 
creation. So I have my whole workflow set up in a way where it's all loopable. It's all like I can get ideas down quick and have fun with that. And then, of course, after that, once you stack up a bunch of ideas, getting now doing the tedious work where you edit it, you arrange it, you make it blah. That's where you need to, I at least need to really push myself hard to get that to, to you know, do the work basically. That's the work. Uh, whereas getting the idea down is work too, but I don't view it as work, <laughs> you know? Totally. So it's like um, the balance of doing the fun things and doing the work so that you can keep doing the fun things sustainable in a sustainable way. Yeah. Yeah. Struggle, but worth it. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned loving travel so much and, and the reason why, like what, what are some, you've been to some awesome places. Like, mm. I mean, when did you move to, to the Netherlands? So I was born in the Netherlands. You were born in the Netherlands. Yeah. Okay. My parents, my parents moved from Morocco to the Netherlands and yes. had me a couple of years after. And there's a very close connection to Morocco as far as like how, how often I would go there and travel every year. Uh, and we had a place there. We have a place there. And, um, I had my friend, I have, I say I had, because a lot of the friends I grew up with there every summer, I would connect with, with my friends there. Uh, they have since moved or gone other places, but it was a very tight knit community that I would stay in touch with. And I really was living this life in Morocco and this life in the Netherlands, um, up until my 23rd, basically, um, when I left to China and, um, and then you added in a new whole new culture to your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah. So, so yeah. So born and raised in the Netherlands in Utrecht and, uh, Morocco was a big part of the upbringing. I didn't speak any Dutch until I was about four or five. So I only spoke Arabic and, um, we were living in, um, like a, like a, a, a neighborhood with predominantly Moroccans. So my neighbors were Moroccan, you know, this, the community was Moroccan where, and then when, when I was five, four, we moved to the, to a suburb of Utrecht. And now I, you know, four or five, you start getting in school and, you know, people are speaking more Dutch around you. And that's where I picked it up. And fortunately brains are pretty damn impressive around that age still. So I soaked that up real quick and I was lucky to, to get that Moroccan foundation <laughs> early because the accent, the it's funny because my sister is three years younger. So she has most of her life uh, or most of her, sorry, uh, her first years in the suburb. So her accent is different. So there's like the environment did, did a lot. I had a lot of influence um, naturally. So yeah, so those those two countries were big then. So my parents loved to travel, so we did a lot of travel around Europe. You know, it's pretty easy. Like five hours, you're in, in Paris, and you're in Germany. It's right there at the border, Belgium. And, you know, Italy and all most of the European countries you can imagine. We've seen it or been around, and then um, in Africa, it was just Tunisia and Morocco that that I've seen, I really want to check out the rest of Africa, basically from South Africa to everything that's below Morocco, because a lot of the cultural influences around music and, and uh, the, the tribes and the, the garments have so many similarities, Mali, Mauritania, uh, and my 
my father's side of his ancestry is are all from uh, sort of desert tribes and nomadic tribes, Bedouins. Um, so I, I always had the you know, big affinity to that and the instruments that sort of like are from there. And that's one of the reasons I went to China is because I'd never been to Asia. So once I got into, and it's a funny story because the reason I went to China, so I was studying and they, uh, there was this program, study abroad, and you, there's like a, all these partnerships that our school had with different countries, schools in different countries. St the States was on there. I think it was uh, in South Carolina somewhere. That was the only one you could go to in the States, weirdly enough, random. And then, um, you know, Europe, obviously you could go anywhere in Europe. And there was New Zealand and Australia and China just been added that year. So I literally just put the three most far away places. You give three options, they pick one for you. And um, I always knew, always, <laughs> I cannot remember a time I did not knew that I wanted to get out of the Netherlands. Not because I hated it, just felt small. And it felt like, and I just loved seeing other things. And um, I was very, very enamored with uh, American culture, the entertainment, hip hop was a big, like that was a big lens into a lot of things, but movies and I was big into movies and all of the vernacular, the, the different accents. And I really soaked it up as a young kid. And that's uh, becoming very apparent that that's a thing that you're very good at is just like, look at something and absorb it, mm. hear something, absorb it. And I didn't want to bring it like, I'm trying not to just keep bringing it back to music, but that's like, cool. that's got to be with having, you know, traveled around Europe, traveling around the parts of Africa and then into China, like you were probably getting so much influence that, mm. that was exactly what you needed and what, what you wanted. Just like your brain needed those different right elements perhaps man and i think also the more you travel uh the more pathways and the more um neuroplasticity the more neuroplasticity you create so i do believe and i'm sure jocelyn would be able to explain this way better but <laughs> i do believe that the more you expose yourself to these things at an early age especially but any time in your life I think they, they debunked that people thought that neuroplasticity sort of dies off in older age. Not true. So the more you expose yourself to these things, the more you increase the capability to absorb as well. Um, and maybe that's not true. I just believe that. <laughs> so and so, yeah, I I really loved learning new things and I really loved like I would study something or research something and never having been to that place. And I loved going to the place to see where I was at and how close I was to, you know, my assumptions and whatnot. So yeah, I, um, I do know that it was very helpful in my quest of, you know, absorbing all the, like it was very helpful exposing my, the more stuff I exposed myself to and weird experiences I exposed myself to, the more I just loved life is what really it was. And uh, the more I appreciated life, the more interested I was in having conversations with people, learning about their background. I noticed that over time. I was like, you know, when you ask somebody, oh, what do you do? Oh, I do this. And perhaps it's an answer that a lot of people, would, all right, cool. That's, I, 
I can assume what that is. We're done here. <laughs> you know? And I, I noticed myself going deeper, even if it was like uh, a, a thing that we all feel we know, like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a waiter at this restaurant or I am a plumber over here or I'm a, th-. all right, great. We all know what, what that entails work-wise. But we don't know what experiences you have. So let's go. Let's so tell me and I would try to find the little nuts and bolts around it and shit. And like, let's see what comes out. Um, because what's your human response to some of these experiences? Like, what is it like? What would it be like if I was doing that right now? What would I how would I feel? And what are the weird things that happen? Or what are the cool things that happen? Or what is it about it that actually makes you feel at ease or meditative or not? or why and like why do you do this and so yeah that's also what i think drove me sort of to the strategy insights side of things even if it was working for evil companies (laughs) um but i I was like oh shit i found a spot where people will pay me to go to do research projects and travel around the world and ask people things and ask them about their interests and what makes them tick i can do that like i that's great. <laughs> what a dream. Yeah. To exactly. be able to do that. Exactly. That's so cool. Pre-COVID was uh, some of the best years doing that. Just literally traveling everywhere yeah. and just asking people things and, and taking those insights back and trying to understand those and figure out patterns and, and whatnot. And uh, COVID kind of stopped all that. And it would be a lot of research over Zoom. It's just not the same. Still asking people things. It's still connecting but meeting somebody in their environment yeah. is everything. Yeah. Being able to go there and sit with them and see what they do. Exactly. Yeah. That's why, I mean, I've done web development for years and still I'm kind of on the like getting out of it phase. Mm-hmm. But that was always my favorite part was being able to go and, you know, one of my first clients was a children's therapy clinic. So like physical therapy wow. and occupational therapy and speech therapy and stuff. Mm. And, you know, something that I had no connection to. And they hired me on and they're like, do you want to come to our office and, you know, have a meeting and you can kind of see the place. And I was like, sure, why not? And then once I got there, I was like, oh, this is the best part of the job. I get to sit in and watch them work with these clients and see how they do things and then take that and put it in web form. Yeah. And so I'm using my specialty to, you know, to show because they don't have the marketing skills or or know-how, but... I don't have the knowledge there. So it's like a blending of these two worlds. And when you find the good clients like that, that you're just like, I'm fascinated by you. Mm-hmm. I want to know how your world works and let me help share that with the world. Yes. It's the best part of it. Hell yeah. And now you care so much more about it. Yes. You just made your job that much more interesting, fun, and more human, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just, I, we all love these moments sometimes where, we don't have to be at any office. We don't have to be, you know, immersed in anything and just kind of like, just give me the job. I'll do it at home. I got this. And that's fine. But I think we all yearn for these. If you can find real human moments that make you feel alive and you get paid for it, I mean, that's just, just amazing. That's that's what it's all about. So, yeah, I, I can relate to that. because then you And then on top of that, you go there. And now you're getting insights subconsciously. You're seeing the place. You're seeing how people work, what they, how they do things. Now you're seeing the tone of voice. You're seeing the tone of the place, how they react to clients. 
and all that stuff can are just beautiful insights that you can weave into the work right yeah yeah okay going off of different direction are we still friends i i think um yeah next time be a little prepared to have like a top-notch production ready for me done i feel like uh drinking water is great but top shelf whiskey would be amazing. I should have offered you whiskey. I have, but I don't have at, top shelf. It's Jameson or something. Least, it's Sunday, man. Like uh. this is where I get my. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm so happy we're not doing. I'm so hungover. Oh uh, yeah. No, this was great. I am still your friend. Um, you can reach out anytime, and um, I am so happy that you're doing this i remember us talking about this a while ago and then i heard that you were doing it and i was like yes this is what it's all about keep doing you keep staying real and um promise me that when you get to episode 100 that i get to i get to come back on absolutely so dibs on 100 you got it you got 100 great awesome, awesome. thanks man. thank you i mean <laughs> of course very welcome Thanks so much to our friend Amin for sitting down with me today. If you want to become better friends with Amin, find him at aminfaleli.com and at aminmc on Instagram. Are We Still Friends is produced and edited by me, Kyle Coleman. Music provided by our friend, Jack Martin. Make sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Visit arewestillfriends.com to find more interviews with your favorite or new friends. 